You're listening to Some Pulp on Sunrise Robot. Find out how you can support us on sunriserobot.net slash support. Hey, welcome to episode 12 of Some Pulp. I'm your host, Bruce Edwards, and tonight I'm joined by... Michael Edwards. Hey, this is a... Pretty normal now. Uh, am I still a guest host? No, I think you are a pest host. <laughs> Great. Yeah, and uh, tonight um, I get to introduce our topic for once, which I'm I'm not going to do a an extensive job at. But tonight's topic is Disney. Um, Disney's been around since the early 20th century, but I, I think the 50s and 60s will be a unique uh, era to look at what they were doing and how they were expanding and growing. And uh, you know, I don't feel like I need to introduce Disney as a company because I'd be really surprised if someone listening to this hadn't heard of Disney. But um, maybe a few of the finer points of just Disney's milestones um, in becoming a champion of animation and then extending their empire beyond animation to live action, television, film, and uh, and then their weird fascination with uh, creating entire theme parks and experiences, which I think will be a key um, insight to, to get into. But so Disney, you know, in the, uh, I think they began in the late twenties and, uh, you know, they're obviously known for Mickey. Um, I think in the late thirties is when Snow White comes out and, uh, Fantasia 1940 and, uh, you know, these landmark animation spectacles, um, but, but still not quite a, a fully formed machine that's pumping these out. Like we know today as modern Disney, um, but then when we get to the 50s, you know, with 1950, we have, we have uh, Cinderella as kind of the, the first shot fired of, of, of a, a very productive Disney that would come out with Lady and the Tramp and Sleeping Beauty and 101 Dalmatians, and then also a whole host of television personalities and shows and explorations that we'll get into. And uh, I'm kind of interested, to, um, you know, this has been a grand intro um, to, to your introduction to Disney as, as a kid in the, the mid to late 50s and uh, into the 60s. And, uh, you know, what was the first thing you can recall you saw or knew about? And was this on television? Was this one of their films? Well, certainly it had to be the Mickey Mouse Club and uh, membership, which was you know literally something I could I could mail in, I could cut out of a newspaper ad or a photo play magazine or or something that my mom read, and that would offer me the uh, grand exploits of uh, learning about the Disney Company and about the Mickey Mouse Club, uh, you know. Uh, Stars and what they were going into next, and, and of course they'd appear on my screen every every Saturday night, and uh, they would introduce themselves. There'd be a roll call, and uh, I I loved getting ready for that. And uh, uh, you know, my mom, I think, and, and my dad later, they they couldn't believe how rapt attention that one show. I would have been five or six years old, and I had to be there at the start, and I stayed to the very end. Had you seen any of their films? I, mean, I realized there wasn't like DVD players or Netflix, obviously, in the 50s and 60s. But did you, you know, go out to see Disney films or were they replayed at drive-ins or anything? 
I'm trying to think if there was a drive-in. Uh, I, I think the, the, the Disney controls even then were pretty strong. So I, I don't remember it being featured at drive-ins, but there was definitely a theater in downtown Akron we could walk to from our house. And I remember Sleeping Beauty, and I remember uh, parts of Fantasia, uh, which was kind of, I, I remember it as, as boring and, you know, had all the classical music and it was, you know, you know, looking at it retrospectively, it was, it was, it was a film marvel. But, uh, to, to my mind, the, the Mickey Mouse Club and the, the, uh, live action, uh, westerns and, uh, in, in, in some of the, the early teenage skits and drama on there was much more captivating than the, the animation was. Was uh, Disney always going on about their vault, even back then, of, of movies going into the <laughs> vault? There's some vault somewhere where they're stuck and someone <laughs> figures out how to open it every 15 years. You know, I vaguely remember that, but I think it's only because I've seen replays of, uh, of Walt Disney's spiel and not because I saw them, saw them live. Uh, you know, uh, you know, the, the animation was impressive and there weren't a whole lot of, uh, you know, feature film, uh, animation movies. And, uh, you know, there are plenty of cartoons and, and plenty of, uh, uh, eventually plenty of TV shows like Looney Tunes, which was, you know, from a rival company, Warner brothers. But, uh, you know, the, the earliest, uh, live action show, uh, that I remember vividly is the absent-minded professor where I was introduced to Flubber and, uh, you know, s- starring uh, uh, Fred McMurray, who who eventually had his own TV show in the early 60s called My Three Sons. And so there was a crossover there between the Disney uh, uh, pantheon of, of, of adult stars who would be silly and slapstick like uh, like Fred McMurray was, and that would cross over onto the TV uh, series. So my my weird mind that's blurring actors for some reason thought Jerry Lewis was the absent-minded professor, but clearly that's not the case. Was he in any of these right, movies? You know, he, he w- no, he was not, and he was the nutty professor. Ah, there it is. Um, yeah. Um, and one of the things I would like to get into is also um, Walt Disney himself. Was he a very public face for Disney at the time? Um, was you know did he introduce his shows the way Alfred Hitchcock would step in front <laughs> like a silhouette or hello well, everyone? <laughs> cer- certainly for his own TV show that you know of course over the years up until his death and even afterwards uh, in, in the mid sixties uh, he he was the MC of them. And, uh, but not, I don't, I don't think, uh, Mickey Mouse Club had him as the spokesperson. I think that was left for the, uh, Saturday night or Sunday or Friday night as it, as it, uh, varied. Yeah. Uh, he, he was the host. And, and later when, uh, Disney restored a, a weekly TV show, it was Michael Eisner, uh, right. who became the CEO. And, uh, he, I, he had to be coached and, you know, no, nobody was as, uh, uh, it's like Tim Cook. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah. He, no, nobody could be Steve Jobs. Nobody could be Walt Disney. And, and you know, he, he took great pride. And, uh, you know, uh, linking it to, to something uh, in the media last couple of years, I mean, I think Tom Hanks does a really good job of portraying uh, Walt, Walt Disney and saving Mr. Banks. And it kind of gives you that sense of confidence and uh, camaraderie with both children and adults. And, and he can really sell his own property very well. Yeah. And he, and he did. Well, I get the sense that the, the common the, the biographers of this era want to place um, Steve Jobs, but 
um, and Walt Disney in the kind of this category of American entrepreneurs that Edison would be part of. And I mean, do you think, was there any sense at the time that Disney was that kind of figure in the 50s and 60s? Or is that more posthumous, um, you know, putting him on a pedestal? Well, here's here's what I do remember as as a child and then adolescent of, of Disney wanting to create a world, uh, a self-contained world that could be clean and safe. Uh, and, you know, he had... Uh, places to stay, you know, like motels, but it, it wasn't like we'll drive to Six Flags, we'll stay in a motel. This was a self-contained uh, world uh, with characters and people staying in character. And, you know, Six Flags is a place you get on a roller coaster. Disney uh, was a place where you got on uh, a trek to a civilization, a jungle, uh, you know, a, uh, a, a frontier land, and most of all, a, a space adventure. And Space Mountain, I, I heard about Space Mountain from you know the time I was six years old, and knowing that that was in California, and I would probably never get to go to California and see Disneyland. Eventually, as you know, an adult uh, college student, I got to live in Tampa and go to Disney World in Orlando. Uh, but uh, they are two different uh, kinds of places, and uh, I'm still longing to go to Disneyland. So there it is. Well, I'm right there with you. Let's let's go. Um, yeah. So Disneyland comes out in 1954, and uh, I mean, presumably the the nation knew about this. This was not like a, a secret or a well kept secret. Um, you know, do you remember? Like, was there were there ads for Disneyland? Was it you know? Was it immediately? I don't. know. I guess we could do an episode on game shows. Were game shows even a thing at the time? Were uh, game shows that would give it away as a prize? Yeah, or, like uh, I'm going uh, to yeah, Disneyland. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I, I can remember there being, uh, c- certainly after Disneyland gets established as a place every child wants to go, and, and it was sold as this is the kind of place where you can let your children's imagination safely escape from the, the day-to-day and, and the, uh, the drudgery uh, of school because Disney knows the child's imagination and wants to free it, you know, wants to release it. And in what better place to go than Disneyland? And, uh, you know, again, you know, there was, there's a distinction between places you could go to, to uh, ride something. That could be your, your county fair. But this is a place that was self-contained. And, you know, even as, as, uh, you know, I became a parent and, and took, my my children took took you. I think you remember that that sense of a self contained world was is from the very start because our car broke down and a Disney uh, mechanic came out and said, "Don't worry about a thing. We'll take it from here. And by the time you leave today, no matter what time it is, it's going to be fixed and ready." And I thought that's amazing. I want to live here too. <laughs> I think this is why. I mean, not to push the Apple thing too hard, but why Disney gets compared to Steve Jobs, or vice versa, Jobs gets compared to Disney. Um, because the same way, you know, Walt Disney's like, I don't want people to see a highway. I don't want them to have any reminder they're anywhere except here while they're here. I don't want them to have these distractors poking in, you know, glitches in the matrix, as it were. Um, and like, you know, the same obsession in a different way is, you know, Steve Jobs saying no corner of this product will be, you know, compromised or distracting or, you know, you know, if you want to tweak and, and customize, go get an Android phone. But the iPhone is already set up to be a whole experience. And, you know, obviously there's always naysayers that want to come and, 
and say, well, I, I can see the flaws in this entire world. But it's kind of that astonishment at here's in, an auteur at work. And uh, um, maybe we could turn back to, you, you mentioned being drawn especially to the, the live action television. You mentioned Mickey Mouse Club. Um, but I mean, did you check out anything else in the 50s and 60s like Davy Crockett or Zorro or Wonderful World of Disney with its actually surprisingly short tenure in terms of years. Yeah. Well, first of all, I'll clarify that the you know the Dis, uh, the uh, Disney conception of Mickey Mouse Club was there would be in effect live on tape or live on kinescope uh, scenes with the, the 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 Mouse Club and they would sing and they would dance, but half or, or maybe more than half of the of the half hour episode was a live action serial like the old uh uh theaters in a, in a town would have a a saturday afternoon uh, serial and so uh my my first introduction to any kind of serial tv you know that would prepare my appetite for watching network shows you know late at night which were continuing characters and drama and excitement and so forth were on this this uh individual episode and uh what what happened was that uh disney breaks out of the mickey mouse club which of course brings us in as five and five to seven year olds uh and then now it, as seven to ten year olds we want more action you want cowboys uh, you want <laughs> yeah you want cowboys and of course i mean the most successful launch of any kind of storyline cartoon uh, uh, and uh, for instance, a you know a comic book uh, is Davy Crockett. Davy Crockett is the supreme example of how other networks and other would-be entrepreneurs want to market their line because Davy Crockett took over the nation, and everybody had a a, a, a coonskin hat. I had one. I had several. Uh, I had the uh, uh, Davy Crockett uh, jacket. Which you know it, it looked like I was you know out in the woods, and uh, and I got the, uh, the the Davy Crockett rocking horse uh, or or stick horse. Uh, I was a little too old by then for the rocking horse, but I, I would have taken it if <laughs> but, I could. But you made it work. <laughs> I made it work, and then the the crossover to forty fives and LPs, and the forty fives hadn't been around that long. I mean, they came came at the end of the forties and in in the early fifties, and the the Davy Crockett theme song. Everybody had one, and uh, uh, you know that that was a, a character actor by the name of Fess Parker, and everybody knew who Fess Parker was because he sang like Davy Crockett. He performed like you know he, Davy Crockett could do one thing I wasn't allowed to do, and I could throw a tomahawk at an Indian. So uh, I wasn't allowed to do that. But I uh, wonder why ev- everything else. And I was you know a Cleveland Indians fan, so I didn't want to throw at Indians anyway. So. But uh, that 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 just skyrocketed, and it wasn't just me in my neighborhood or 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 my school. Uh, it was everywhere in the, in the nation, and uh, you know, in, in Disney, Walt and 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 Roy, his brother, they get great credit for learning how to you know reach out and, and grab our hearts and say, "You want to you want to be boy or girl like this guy because he's a hero and he's you know." So uh, that that was quite a uh, a revelation to me, and and you know it, again, it's the first time my parents would have ever thought of this toy. This song is on this program. We better get one for our child because we don't want him 
to be deprived or to fall behind. And I'm not saying they were that crass, but I mean, they, you know, my mom worked and she went downtown every day in all the department stores and she would see all these on display. And she'd bring one home for me. Then she'd bring another and then another. So it seems like Disney really expands and solidifies itself across all these, these different mediums or media, I guess it would be yeah. the plural. Um, live action adventure and, and uh, all the children's stuff. And, uh, you know, when we get in the 60s and Lady and the Tramp and Sleeping Beauty and 101 Dalmatians come out, and um, these are all, you know, Disney films that I think pretty much anyone would recognize. Um, but then some of these live action things, you know, obviously Mary Poppins was huge. Um, Parent Trap, since it's been rebooted 15 times, I think people recognize. Um, but some of these other ones, um, you know, Johnny Tremaine, I, I don't know what that is. Well, you know, that that was an attempt to to play off of the success of Davy Crockett. And, you know, he, he's a, uh, a 17th, uh, 76 hero. You know, a young man who's like Paul Revere and yeah. and that rallies everybody. But it, it wasn't as successful. And, of course, Haley Mills, I, I, I've had a crush on her for, for 50 years. I mean, since the first time I saw her. <laughs> uh, as Pollyanna, as well as Parent Trap. And, uh, uh, and, and Disney knew, knew, how, uh, knew how to find talent that would appeal to a broad audience and and uh, she she she's a british uh young lady and for some reason she she captured our our imagination as a as a nation and uh uh but i have to admit i i have only seen mary poppins once hmm. that was in the theater and i didn't like dick van dyke at all <laughs> and uh, I liked him as a, a TV comedian, but the the fake Cockney accent, all that, I you know, and so you know the uh, Saving Mr. Banks show about the making of Mary Poppins was more enjoyable to me than Mary Poppins could ever be, <laughs> and I know I'm in the minority, and uh, and that's okay because uh, I I didn't want to see another uh, uh, musical like that one come from Disney. And I don't think anyone has ever come quite like that one. I mean, I, yeah. I don't remember Disney writing a, uh, or, or making a, uh, a, a motion picture. And of course, we know how now from the, from the, uh, the movie about the making of how, how difficult it was to, to, to get it made. But, uh, the, uh, the, the charm of Disney was, was also charming America with the, uh, Cast members of so many. I mean, to me, it's incredible to think that Kurt Russell began, you know, as yeah. really a Disney star. Although he had some other small TV parts be- prior to that, he he really be- became uh, just an amazing uh, celebrity uh, as a teenager, and then you know, as, as he as he grew to adulthood and did fifteen John Carpenter movies, um, right. Well, it's interesting you bring that up because I think that's a tradition that's still kind of alive today is Disney's got this kind of like a minor league engine for bringing up <laughs> bringing up acting talent and whether they make them or just find them or some, you know, it's some of both. Um, it, seem, you know, it seems like half the actors you, you discover, you go, oh, they used to be a Disney kid. And it's, it's just kind of this, this weird ability they have to, right. to, to bring people right. up and... Um, you know, however silly their Disney career is, a lot of them have a chance at, at doing 
some very dramatically different stuff once they grow up. Um, so, I mean, another chapter in, in this Disney saga. So, you know, after the 50s, you know, and Walt dies in the, in the mid 60s and, uh, you know, Roy, Roy's kind of tasked with kind of shepherding the company for a while before it gets passed on to, is it Eisner that was next before I think modern day we have Iger, don't we? Uh, I, you know, I, do, I couldn't tell you who the, the chief, uh, the, uh, chief, uh, corporate people are these days, but, uh, Eisner was the, the only one who really, Became a public figure yeah. and uh, introduced episodes and and did promotional uh, interviews and so forth. Yeah. Well, and just uh, just after Walt's death, you kind of have very famously Disney's struggling decade or so um, in the the seventies, especially. And I mean, Walt and um, Disney World comes out in seventy one. Um, but aside from that, you know, they're, they're live action films. I don't think anyone can really name what they did in the seventies. Um, some of their some of their animated films, you know, come to mind. Robin Hood, which I don't think I've ever seen. You know, it's the, it's the fox Robin Hood. It's not a not a human. Um, and then the Rescuers, which I, I only ever saw the sequel, Rescuers Down Under, which I think came out in the late eighties or early nineties. And uh, you know those things do okay, and you know they they can obviously rest on on Mickey and Goofy and Pluto and all these characters to to carry them and and their, their existing you know prominence. But it seems like there was kind of an exile period of we lost our our great leader, our Moses of our company, and what do we do for a while? Yeah, I I think that they had invested a lot in their live action uh, shows, uh, comedies. I was trying to think today, and maybe you can correct me or, or enlighten me. I mean, weren't the Herbie films? They were also Disney, weren't they? The 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 Volts talking, not the talking Volkswagen, but the yeah the sent the, the sentient Volts, uh, Volkswagen. Yeah, it was the uh, bug. The bug. Yeah, yeah, starting with the Love Bug in '68. I'm looking up right here. Yeah, yeah, and and you know they were extremely popular. And uh, but when we get to like Herbie gets married or whatever, Herbie rides again. <laughs> Herbie goes to Monte Carlo. Herbie goes bananas. Yeah, you kind of have this, you know, almost like the Ernest movies. You're like okay. exactly, exactly. That's that's what I was thinking of. Uh, and and that's what the the public does too. I think they begin to associate Disney with. Oh yeah, they used to make good movies, and I remember them when I was little. But. What have they done for us lately? Yeah. And, um, you know, the one that did come to mind today that uh, uh, is the Black Hole. Uh, I don't know if you remember that. No, I'm not uh, familiar. Yeah. Uh, And, uh, you know, it it was, uh, you know, and they did Tron, too, let's not forget, which was, was, was I thought, tremendously imaginative movie. I love that movie. Uh, And, uh, you know, Black Hole. That's 82 when they start to come out of their. Their fever. Yeah, yeah, and uh, and even so, there were other people making better movies like that. But uh, you know, again, the, the public is sort of resting on okay, this will this may not be interesting, but at least it'll be safe, you know, and <laughs> it, it'll be PG or G, and, and of course that that's always been true until recently when some of the movies start creeping into PG thirteen because of violence or, or whatever, but. Uh, you know, because because Bambi was always the uh, pre fifties show that everybody said, "Oh, it's so so sad." Yeah, because you know Bambi's mother like dies. <laughs> yeah, like up and uh, uh, but I I did see see that and another movie that was very sad going going backwards in time again is Old Yeller 
which uh, which had that sense. It's it's probably not even a Disney movie, but it reminds me of a Disney movie, if it's not one. Uh, and it, it it it's the kind of movie that your mom regrets taking you to, because she of course doesn't know if it's sad or not, and she doesn't want to take a sad kid home. <laughs> and um, I mean, nobody does really. And uh, you know, in the end, you you want to. Uh, have them in a jovial mood before you have to tell them it's time to go to bed. Of course, <laughs> nobody ever told me to go to bed, so I didn't have to face that. But I think <laughs> other other parents did. And uh, well, I mean, it seems well supported that th- there was a struggling era, and then somewhere around my childhood, they kind of hit a, a second golden era, at least for the, their their feature films. You know, because Little Mermaid comes out, and then you have Aladdin and Lion King, and you know, their Pixar acquisition, they start getting Toy Story, and it's like this whole new massive um, relevance again. But um, I don't know, I was interested in in that that whole perception you might have had seeing these different decades, you know, what Disney mattering in different ways. Well, somewhere in there, uh, Touchstone is created as a a second uh, brand that's uh, sort of Disney and sort of not. You know, it allowed for a little more... Uh, ex- ex- escapist like Splash, I think is a isn't that a Touchstone movie with uh, Tom Hanks and the you know kind of yeah uh, pre figures the the Little Mermaid Eugene Levy uh, and as John a live Candy. action <laughs> yeah and and so there's there's a whole series of of these uh, Touchstone movies and I'm not even sure Touchstone is it still a a, a label that that they uh, I think they've gone back to you know Walt Disney films and that's that's almost exclusive isn't it I'm trying to look uh, that up um but yeah a ton of recognizable films here um Good Morning Vietnam Who Framed Roger Rabbit Dead Poets Society Pretty Woman Dick Tracy like just a laundry list of films yeah, people and, and would and recognize and, and even in the ones you read I would say only a handful of them were were good I mean uh, certainly, uh, Rushmore, you know, vo- Royal Tenenbaums. <laughs> yeah, yeah they, they were they Disney related though. I mean, are they um, juxtaposed? These are cited the- as Touchstone releases. So okay, okay, all right. <laughs> uh, well, no, it, it surprises me because I, I I thought that that Touchstone had uh, you know entered the uh, the golden age long ago, and you know is now just wistfully talked about rather than you know any any more recent. Yeah. So one of the other topics I think that that dovetails nicely with this this story of Walt Disney being a man who liked to create an entire experience is um, how many film and cinematic universes um, Disney now owns. Um, I mean, they own Pixar, which isn't a cinematic universe, but they they are creators of worlds and entire you know ecosystems in their films. But then we have Marvel is now owned by Disney. Um, Lucasfilm famously in the, in the past two years became part of Disney and, uh, it's just kind of, you know, they're owning these previous separate bastions of imagination and creativity. Right. And, you know, uh, let, let's not forget that for, for one shining moment, they had the Narnia films. <laughs> right. <laughs> so, uh, and probably did the best one that will ever be done. And that's, you know, not, not saying much. It was pretty good, but it, you're talking it, about it Prince Caspian, right? <laughs> <laughs> Just kidding. Yeah. Right. So, yeah. Yeah. I, yeah. 
in that's troublesome. I mean, I think anybody who would care about any of those uh, uh, universes or multiverses is is wondering whether they can sustain the the quality of what once was once they become under you know the the aegis of a new yeah. new company. But but wouldn't you uh, say they've done well with Marvel as maybe the example? Like, yeah, not every Marvel film's been a, a total winner, but it, it's. Where we are in a better era of comic book films than I would say most we've had. I, I would say the the answer for me will will depend upon how Ant Man comes out, and and I say it say it because of this. I just realized I, I saw a uh, an ad for Ant Man. Of course, I'd seen a trailer and all that, but it didn't occur to me until I saw that uh, poster in a Wasilla. Uh, Alaska theater, and it was uh, a coming soon from Walt Disney Films. Now, I mean, I know that the Marvel connection is there and so forth, but in in, in terms of theater, they want associated <laughs> Ant Man with with Disney, uh, and maybe it's just because Inside Out has come out and that sort of thing. But but I uh, sometimes in a in a less than movie cultural, uh, you know, savvy, literary climate, and maybe I'm, I'm unfair to label Wasilla that way. Uh, forgive me, Wasillians, if you're listening to this podcast, but uh, it, just, it just struck me that the advertisement and, and the, the connecting lines were not to Marvel as much as to Disney. Huh. And uh, it, that just struck me, too, as a way of uh, thinking about the multiplicity now of, of genres and storylines, and uh, and and then you know by contrast, of course, what what Warner Brothers is doing toward Superman and Batman, and it seems flummoxed to me. In, in, in <laughs> that's a good Warner. word. Um, DC. It, it, I feel it, like other than the Christopher Nolan Batman films, DC has not been doing well with their universes. Oh yeah, and and you know Zack Snyder is in in particular the the, the person to point to, I think. But uh, uh, any, anyway, I mean, you know, I mentioned Inside Out. In some ways, Inside Out, and I enjoyed it, and and it is clearly a Pixar movie. But it also kind of reminded me of the uh, the the era just after the the fifties in the early sixties. You mentioned them, Sleeping Beauty, One Hundred One Dalmatians, in terms of. The humor and and the the sincere uh, and sincerity of the uh, the storylines as depicted through the parents of of the Inside Out girl the uh, and and, and uh, Pete Doctor who w- with a, a collaborator uh, did this film uh, admitted that the, the, some of those roots are there and and uh, even even talking about his own daughter as one of those. Uh, inspirations for for making a movie this way, and so uh, I don't know if everybody would feel that. I, I, I think that people who had lived through uh, Mickey Mouse Club of the '60s version, '50s and '60s, and in the immediate animation and live action would, would see that resonant there, and uh, and so it was touching in, in a different way than let's say Finding Nemo was to me. Yeah. And I've learned learned to to love a movie like Finding Nemo, Nemo because of my grandkids, not because I liked yeah. it that much. I do like the the mine 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 seagulls. But, yeah. Um, yeah. 
uh, I mean, you mentioned Ant Man, and I did have one other comment because you were you were iffy on it or wanted to see how it turned out. And the the biggest warning sign to me about Ant Man was Edgar Wright was originally attached to it, um, right? Of, of the Simon Pegg films, the the Coronetto trilogy, which isn't really a trilogy; it's just that's the ice cream flavor that shows up in uh, Shaun of the Dead <laughs> and. Uh, the hot fuzz and uh, the third one, the the world's end or whatever it's called. Um, yeah, world's end. Um, and so he was attached, and just you know, his comedic sense and timing seemed like an amazing fit for the what little I do know about Ant Man. And you know, you know, it's possible it turned it's still turning out really great. I like Paul Rudd. I think he's a an interesting cast for that show. Yeah, well, the reason I, I even raised that in terms of it being a Disney property wasn't so much that Disney would mess it up as that maybe Marvel would, under the new leadership, feel obligated to Disney-fy it oh, in I some way. So, so, so I, I don't think it would come from the Disney side. I think they've been given a lot of freedom out to these uh, uh, various directors and, and uh, Lucasfilm people, although... I haven't been. I'll, I'll just say this, and if if you have a thing about it, I'd like to hear it. The the uh, Lucasfilm related characters, driven uh, uh, or you know, extrapolated from uh, Star Wars on the on the Disney Channel cartoons, haven't been to me particularly impressive, uh, and and <laughs> and I want to say that because they have some some of the wooden effect of certain George Lucas tendencies uh, that I thought maybe they were giving him too much latitude <laughs> and that, that maybe that, you know Disney needed to uh, to, to uh, add, add some of their uh, uh, wonderful world of Disney effects uh, than, uh, than, than they have appeared to be so, so far but we'll have to see I, I actually don't uh, have any trepidation about Ant-Man being entertaining because I think it'll probably be like some of the other Marvel uh, cartoony type characters that they've drawn, you know, uh, Guardians of the Galaxy from. You know, the the talk, the I guess he doesn't talk the 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 wood the wood creature uh, that uh, you know, he doesn't have any lines, but he's, <laughs> he's Groot. I am Groot. Yeah, Groot. Yeah, I'm Groot. Uh, so. I think Ant-Man either has to be – it has to run away from its Marvel roots uh, or it has to have the, the Disney restore a certain kind of uh, uh, savoir-faire uh, that uh, – you know, I, I think already Mike, the Michael Douglas character in the movie is the original Ant-Man and Paul Rudd is the replacement that he yeah. he sort of brings into the story and – I'm I'm not up on my Ant Man well enough to know, but Henry Pym was the original, and so uh, great I'm, name Pym. Yeah, yeah, P Y M. But you know, be, before we get too far away from from prejudging, you know, what, what's been a, a wildly successful uh, Disney uh, farm for for talent and so forth, is um, I, I do want to mention uh, two two kind of forgotten. Uh, live action shows they did in the late fifties, uh, and, and one of them has, hasn't been forgotten exactly. I mean, everybody knows who Zorro is, but only because of uh, you know the the the, the latter day eighties and and nineties and, and the, the 
Puss in Boots type character that, yeah. that uh, Antonio Banderas plays. But the original Zorro was just wonderful to me. I mean, it was just... Uh, and it was played by Guy Williams, who who later shows up as the Robinson family uh, Swiss hero. Family Robinson. Uh, he he was in Swiss Family Robinson, and then he becomes Lost in Space Robinson, which is Swiss Family Robinson. Exactly, Swiss. exactly. And so, uh, well, I will say, you know, I've, uh, Zorro did awaken in me a desire to slice letters into people's clothing. <laughs> That was one of the, the most fun things you wait for. Like, you wait for the Hulk to get angry, and you wait for Zorro to, to leave his logo. <laughs> but the other one, and I, I just think this begs to be revived and, and given its own uh, identity in the pantheon of, of Disney uh, characters. And this is El Fago Baca. Uh, and, and he is the, the uh, El Fago Baca is the mine, the, the mine. <laughs> the man with nine lives he he cannot be killed and you know all these these, these people uh show up at his house and shoot you know thousands of bullets and he comes out and is able to you know throw a rope around him and and drag him off to jail and uh, and he's he's kind of the you know Zora was the superhero but Alfago Baca was was sort of the ingenious uh you know Richard Kimball, the fugitive type character who could uh, defy authority and, and and save people despite themselves, and uh, and you know it only really played on on the uh, the, the Disney uh, Sunday night uh, show, you know maybe three or four episodes, and you know much of what people remember about. It, I mean, I I I looked this up about a year ago because I wanted to buy it. And because it was no longer available, because it was in one of those Disney vaults <laughs> where they, they, they don't make it available except every 10 years or so, it wasn't available. But uh, I was shocked to see that uh, there were about nine or 10 episodes maximum. And uh, so I'm just waiting for that, that vault to open up again, and I'll, and I'll, I'll get it on, on <laughs> Waiting Blu-ray. patiently, lining up like an Apple product launch. The last time I looked, it was only available on VHS, which is <laughs> discouraging. <laughs> yeah, well, I'm glancing at the Wikipedia on, uh, on El, El Fago Baca, and uh, it's notable, apparently, with a citation that uh, Disney took great care to try to depict the famous siege in, a, in as authentic a manner as possible, um, short of probably the, the, the gritty violence, I'm sure. But um. <laughs> Yeah, well, of course, the gritty violence is that even though people get blown up, shot off horses and stuff, no one ever dies. Yeah. Uh, and I, I just want to say for all of my friends who remember my basketball team in 1970 at the University of Akron in, in terms of, uh, you know, intramurals, they were named the Alfago Bacas. And nobody in the world could figure out why I would ever name <laughs> a basketball team that. And, uh, and let alone go, go to a sporting goods store and say, I, I need five of these, and I needed them to say Alfago Bacas. <laughs> and they said, what? It sounds like I need to write a song or release an album called Alfago Baca. I think... I There's think probably it, already a band called Alfago Baca. It could be. And, uh, and if there's not, then uh, we, we need to at least create a, a website for it. <laughs> well, that's easy. Um, and I could put up the the uh, my final stats 
for the season that year too, by the way, just so that people could know that it was a successful team. We played many faster, bigger guys, but we beat them. I guess that left you nonplussed. I'm just trying to think of, uh, you know, anything and left to say or or things to mine out here about Disney. And, um, you know, we've covered decades in, you know, in extensive detail. No one ever needs to research anything else about Disney now. Um, That's not true. But, um, you know, where do we go from here? It seems like Disney is as strong as ever. And, you know, whatever, whatever questionable periods they're in, they are not struggling now and uh, have found their footing. And, uh, you know, it seemed like that narrative is what everyone wanted to throw at Apple after Steve Jobs died. It's like, oh, Apple's going to fall and die. And, you know, maybe that'll happen. Everyone's, you know, the same narrative has been in the news about Nintendo for several decades. They're, they're a company that's even older than Disney. And, uh, you know, are we just going to be stuck with these? Um, stuck with these companies? <laughs> um <laughs> You know, I mean, I guess nothing lasts forever and eventually there will be some horrible dud of leadership and everything will fall apart and the, the, the scrap will be sold. <laughs> but Well, let, let's think of these two or three facts. Uh, you know, Disney started out without any kind of television presence, got it, and now owns a network. Uh, and, uh, you know... You know, not only the Disney Channel, but but now that they own, as as we've already said, these uh, imagination machines like Lucasfilms and and, and Marvel and Pixar, uh, and you know, there's there, I don't think there's any uh, stalling out of those kinds of properties because people always want so-called family-friendly culture. They want heroic figures. Uh, they want to be told the future is bright and 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 that things will work out, which is you know what what the attempt of Tomorrowland, you know the most recent uh, Disney film uh, attempted to do, and and apparently not with much box office, but uh, you know I'm I'm still uh, you know hopeful that 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 vision of the future is 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 still available that we don't have to watch over and over again Divergent. And, and, you know, Hunger Games as the, the staple. I mean, is that what we'll remember about the, uh, the, the uh, 2010s, uh, you know, our, our dystopians? Uh, I, I don't think we have to. I think that there's other ways and brighter uh, ways to continue to, to keep that momentum. So uh, Disney is not going away. It's not going to be uh, thwarted by startups from other uh Companies, uh, you know, HBO is not going to start a family-friendly kind of division. Uh, they have their own channel, HBO, you know, family, but that's using other people's uh, material, their, their their content. They're not creating their own, and so you know, D- Disney reigns in that. And now they have, uh, as as we've been discussing it, you know, Lucasfilm, and uh, I, I suppose that comes with it, uh, Indiana Jones, and so forth, uh, Marvel. Uh, what they don't have, they don't need. They don't need Superman. They don't need uh, the rest of uh, Batman. I wish they had Green Lantern, though I admit that. <laughs> um, when I'm trying to think of parallels, I mean, no one would say that DreamWorks is anywhere near as important as Disney for animation. There, there's kind of a, a lot of ridicule that every DreamWorks character has the same eyebrow raised smirk. 
you know, whether it's Kung Fu Panda or, or some of these other characters. And, uh, you know, I'm thinking, well, you know, another animation company, you know, Disney's more than an animation company, but, you know, Studio Ghibli is super well regarded and has even collaborated with Disney, but they don't have this vast empire. They may be some of the best animators in the world, you know, making Spirited Away and Princess Mononoke, but, you know, they don't have theme parks. They don't own Marvel. They don't own Lucasfilm. And maybe that's not their ambition, but um, it's hard to find a company as kind of huge and and I think that's why the Apple comparisons keep coming from me, but also from other people is it's hard to think of companies that kind of encompass this kind of entirety and size of ambition. And, um, there's, even if you don't like what they do, there's something impressive and something you have to contend with, um, their existing. Yeah. I mean, it wouldn't surprise me if, if Disney, created a car or created a spaceship that really worked before uh, all the companies that are designing and planning to do that. Uh, I mean, the monorail, as far as I can tell or care, came from Disney. Uh, and uh, if there's ever a, a, a fast uh, train that moves from Sacramento to San Diego, I think Disney will probably create that. Or Elon Musk he were, in collaboration. Oh yeah, yeah. I mean, those those are the guys who think independently and uh, and and work. They have the funds. They they have the wherewithal to work outside the ranks of uh, existing corporate. Uh, I wanted to coin a term, corpiana, corpiana, some, some derogatory term about corporateness. Yeah. That uh, somehow uh, Disney maybe doesn't escape that entirely, but I think in the future. Uh, we still want to have the Brad Birds of Disney leading a lot of our uh, our futurism because I think it's uh, uh, it's exciting. It's uh, it's not melancholy. It doesn't it doesn't make you worry. Uh, and you know, we we can't all be Pollyanna to quote <laughs> from a Disney film, but we can be less like the. Uh, uh, the the divergent type films and the Hunger Games type films. Yeah, there's a, seems like there's this obsession with the dystopian fiction that's especially come to film recently. You know, I mean, a lot of these books are from the '90s and and maybe earlier, but man, there's a lot of dystopian fiction out there. And I, I agree, it's refreshing. It's sad that it's refreshing, but refreshing to have a voice like Brad Bird and and some of these other, um, you know, get some optimistic takes. You know. Um, some futurism that isn't just retro, but that has some forward-looking positivity. Yeah, yeah, and you know, to mention uh, another Disney movie that didn't fare very well with the public, but was actually a reasonably good science fiction, uh, and that's John Carter. And of course, originally called John Carter of Mars, which they said was the death knell for the movie. Don't so tell anybody. So let's make anybody. it sound like a Keanu Reeves revenge movie. Yeah, <laughs> <John> exactly. <Carter. laughs> Yeah, I think I think that's the that's the way to go. But you know, uh, I don't know if it's fair to say Disney learns from its failures. I I don't know that they've made many failures, but they've they've certainly made some that didn't exceed their expectations, like so many uh, have in the in the past twenty uh, twenty or so years. And uh, you know, for every uh, Miley Cyrus or yeah, their Hercules uh, didn't do so well. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, 
but actually she was a tremendous success, just not for reasons that it make yeah. me understand it, but uh, she's not in the business of making me understand, so <laughs> she'll probably keep doing what she's doing. Uh, at least Disney is the first, probably through John Hamm's help, you know, to make an Indian movie about baseball. I thought there was always, I mean, I think they stole my idea, but, you know, at least they dared to make it, and there's still... Uh, Probably a soccer film they're going to make that I'll have to like that I'm not looking forward to, but <laughs> you'll you'll hate like it. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Well, that's that's good. I think. I mean, if you have any final thoughts, I think we we've covered a, a good chunk for an episode on Disney. Um, if there's any, you know, final sayings. Well, I, I would just say now that Apple has a watch that has Mickey on it, I wear full circle. So. That's a good point. That's, that's a great way to tie this up. So thanks for listening to Some Pulp Episode 12. And as always, thanks to our host, Bruce Edwards. Thank you for being my co-host. Yeah, and I'm your co-host. Um, I've been elevated from occasional guest to co-host. Um, Michael Edwards and uh, producing director. I'm just claiming that. No, I'm just kidding. Um, uh, a couple of notes um, as, as we go out here. Um, we have assembled some show notes related to uh, the films we mentioned and, and Disney and Davy Crockett and Zorro and all this stuff. And you can find those show notes at sunriserobot.net slash sumpulp slash 12. And maybe you're already there because you're listening on the website and uh, those links are right down there. Um, one of the cool things you can do with podcasts is you can subscribe. So if you have an iPhone uh, or some other kind of smartphone, and you probably do, um, you know, an iPhone comes with an app called Podcast, and you can actually search for some pulp and subscribe. And what this will do for you is every time we release a new episode, it'll come to your phone automatically. So whether you're going on your morning jog or you're driving into work, um, you'll have your some pulp goodness ready to go, and you won't even have to actively think about it. It'll just get delivered like a newspaper to your to your phone. If you're on Android, there's a couple good apps, Pocket Casts, or Podcast Attic, which are great choices if you want to subscribe and just search for some pulp and you'll find it. Um, we also, uh, we're, we're on Twitter. We love feedback. If you got questions, you want to set us straight, you want to suggest a topic. Um, we don't take suggestions at some pulp industries, but all the same, you might as well submit them. Um, <laughs> Bruce, you're at, you're at Bruce BGSU, am I right? Bruce BGSU at gmail.com. Yeah, and your, your Twitter handle, at Bruce BGSU. Oh, <laughs> is that still on? <laughs> yeah. Yes, that, yeah, at Bruce BGSU. And uh, I'm at Medwards Music, so uh, tweets totally welcome. And uh, if you want to support us directly, you like what you're doing, what, what, what we're doing, <laughs> this is going really well. Um, you can head to our Patreon campaign, uh, patreon.com slash sunrise robot. And uh, every dollar you send our way helps us keep this sunrise robot machine going, uh, producing new shows. And for one, we actually launched a brand new show called Eclectic Reader. So if you're, if you like reading books, you're into book clubs, um, head to our website and check out Eclectic Readers. Um, this is, a long-winded way of saying there's lots of ways to get in touch and be connected to what Sunrise Robot is doing, and we love your support. And uh, we want to give a special shout-out to our top Patreon supporters, Bruce Edwards and Andreas Langa and uh, a whole host of other people. So let me, let me put a bow on this and end this. Thank you so much for listening, and we'll see you next time. <laughs>